Gonzaga is pursuing another high major guard in the transfer portal in West Virginia's Joe Toussaint. Do they have a chance of landing him? And what would his role look like in Spokane? Let's discuss. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome to the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i am your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy patton here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics well, we're going to take a look at the nine returning zags in the nba and how their potential roles changed following the nba draft but before we do that we're going to talk about gonzaga's pursuit of west virginia transfer guard joe Toussaint. i talked about him a little bit on Monday's episode, for those of you who listened, that episode was about Alex Tui's decision to leave Gonzaga and stay playing professionally in Australia. So we talked about what we're going to do with those open roster spots. The Zags now have three open scholarships available. They're not going to go into the season with three open scholarships, so there is going to be some kind of addition, whether it's a transfer portal addition, whether it's a new player coming in in the class of 2023, whatever else could potentially happen. It does sound like Gonzaga's roster is not done yet, even as we are rapidly approaching the month of July. And Gonzaga's already been connected to a handful of different players in the portal who are still available. We talked about Paul Mulcahy last week from Rutgers. And today we're going to talk about Joe Toussaint. Of course, West Virginia, uh, some pretty significant situations developing there. We talked about that last week as well. You everyday listeners have been up to date on that. Bob Huggins officially out the door for the Mountaineers after his second arrest for a DUI. This one was particularly horrific. Uh, West Virginia has struck to hire uh, Joey Elert as their head coach. He's an interim tag getting promoted up to that role in the hopes that they can keep their team mostly together. We already saw Trey Mitchell hit the transfer portal and go to Kentucky. Kirk Creesa hit the transfer portal, but decided to come back to school. However, there've already been a handful of players from West Virginia who have hit the portal and don't seem like they intend to return among them is Joe Toussaint, a six foot guard from the Bronx. Initially, he spent the first three years of his college basketball career at Iowa in the Big Ten, played 98 games for the Hawkeyes, started 41 of them, averaged about 15 minutes per night. So even though he was a part time starter, he wasn't a, he didn't play a ton of minutes. He was more of a role player for Iowa. Still put up decent numbers, about five points per game, about three assists per game, one and a half boards and 1.1 steals. Not a particularly efficient score, shot about 43.5% on two-pointers, just 27.7% from deep across those first three seasons at Iowa. He then transferred to West Virginia to hang out with Bob Huggins for his senior season. This was last year in 22-23, and he had the most productive season of his career in the Big 12, 34 games For West Virginia, one of them is a start, 21.7 minutes per game, averaged 9.4 points. That was far and away a career high for him. 2.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, and just under one steal per game. Again, the efficiency still wasn't really there for Toussaint, about 40.5% on two-pointers, and an uptick to 32.7% from three, which is a a significant upgrade from his 27% uh, as a three-year player at Iowa, but still you know, just under 33% from a, a undersized guard is, is a little less than ideal than, than what you would want, at least uh, coming into a different situation. Uh, he had some really solid games, though, 22 points and six rebounds against Texas Tech last year. He had 20 points and a home game against Baylor. 
He also had 19 points, seven rebounds, and three assists on the road against a very tough Iowa State team last year. Again, any production you can have in the Big 12 is impressive because you're playing good teams pretty much night in and night out. And he had some some really explosive kind of game-winning type performances for West Virginia last year. Uh, and, and that's notable when you're talking about a player like that. Again, the context of where they come from is always going to be important when looking at these players, especially from a statistical perspective. And look, a lot of teams are interested here. Joe Toussaint has, has not been in the portal all that long. And uh, a list of teams that have reached out, this is from Adam Zagoria on Twitter, uh, is a, a laundry list of very, very solid programs. you got Kansas State, DePaul, Western Kentucky, Seton Hall, Nebraska, Notre Dame, St. John's. Don't know how Rick Pitino is going to add more players, but he's going to try. Georgetown, Texas Tech, Pitt, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Alabama, and Miami. Now, since that list came out, we have heard some more updates from Toussaint. It sounds like he is planning to visit both Kansas State and Texas Tech this week. He is also going to take a day trip to Alabama to visit Nate Oates and the Crimson Tide. And he has Zoom calls scheduled with both Miami and Gonzaga. So we are definitely still in the running here, although I would imagine that three visits to actual comp, uh, college campuses versus two Zoom calls, probably uh, leaning a certain direction. That doesn't mean that Gonzaga is out of the running by any stretch. If I was one of the other programs on this list that he is not even scheduled a Zoom call with, that would be a little bit more uh, demoralizing, but things can change. Things will change. Things do change. It always happens. Uh, and Gonzaga remains in the, in the thick of things in terms of recruiting Joe Toussaint at this point. So what I want to talk about now is what does his role look like? What would this addition mean for Gonzaga were he to come to campus? Because we've been talking on this podcast. Again, you everyday listeners are very dialed into all of this. Gonzaga probably needs to add another guard to this roster. And an experienced guard makes a lot of sense. This is an avenue Gonzaga has pursued many, many times in the past. Aaron Cook, Gino Crandall. Those are two very recent, obvious examples of guys who come in and don't start, don't play big minutes necessarily, but play a valuable role off the bench. You also have guys who've come in and played more of a starting role, more of a significant role. Jordan Matthews comes to mind there. Byron Wesley is a little bit more of a forward, but similar type player in that situation. Ryan Woolridge and Admon Gilder are great examples there. Of course, Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith, if you want to stay very recent on those kinds of additions. I envision Toussaint not playing as much as a Rasir Bolton or a Jordan Matthews. I envision it a bit more of the Aaron Cook, Gino Crandall ilk. And part of the, the challenge of that is that some of these other programs are probably going to commit more playing time to somebody like Toussaint than the Zags might be able to do. And if he doesn't choose Gonzaga, that's a factor. NIL is a factor. His hometown, there's, there's tons of factors, thousands of factors, many that we don't know and we'll never know. But it stands to reason that when a six foot point guard in Joe Toussaint, who is primarily plays on the ball, not a great shooter, more of a distributor, has more passing game than, than necessarily anything else. When he's looking at joining a roster that has Ryan Nempard, one of the most prolific point guards in all of college basketball, a guy who averaged 34 and a half minutes per game last year, and they also have Nolan Hickman, who was the team's starting point guard last year. It's a little tough to look at that situation and think, yeah, I'm sure I would play plenty there. I don't think Gonzaga would play a lot of lineups with Toussaint, Hickman, and Nemhart all on the floor at the same time because they would be very, very, very small. 
I think Steel Venters is going to soak up most of the minutes at the three. I think it depends what's going to happen with Jun Sak Yo and what role he's going to play. Dusty Stromer obviously factors into the guard rotation as well, although he is 6'6". So if you wanted to play him a little bit out of position at the three, you probably could get away with it. Although that's going to kind of depend on his development and, and what Gonzaga wants to do with him ultimately as a freshman. Toussaint is a solid defender for his size. He gets a lot of steals. He's got very active hands. I think that we could see improvements as an outside shooter from him because he would be in a situation where he's not going to be as much of a focal point of the opposing defense. He's also going to play worse defenses for the most part in the WCC, but I'm not sure I see a super obvious fit just in terms of his kind of size and production, but Gonzaga is targeting point guards. Paul Mulcahy, Averaged five assists per game last year. He is a pure point guard. He's also a 37% three-point shooter, so there's a bigger difference there in terms of a skill that he could bring that would be immediately translatable to Gonzaga, a skill that Toussaint may have but hasn't necessarily proved. But Gonzaga does seem pretty dead set on pursuing actual point guards, which I'm a little interested in because they have two of them. They have Nemhard and Hickman. It seems like an off-ball guard might be more the ilk that they would want to go for. Having said that, both Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith, the two most recent successful transfer guards, were point guards at their previous schools, came to Gonzaga and adjusted to an off-ball role, both with success. Bolton struggled a little bit in his second year, but in his first year, his numbers were overwhelmingly positive in more of an off-ball role. Malachi Smith, it took him a little bit of time to adjust from being the, the guy at Chattanooga to being just a guy at Gonzaga and coming off the bench. But once he found his role, man, he was really, really good. Maybe Gonzaga hopes there's something they can do here with either Mulcahy or Toussaint or anybody else they may pursue. They're not necessarily done uh, putting feelers out there on the transfer portal, but Toussaint's the most recent one. There is a connection. There's going to be a Zoom call. We'll see if he makes it out to Spokane. That would certainly uh, raise our our hopes of potentially landing him. I have a feeling he's going to go to Kansas State and Texas Tech, and there's a decent chance he's going to pick one of those two schools uh, out of that group. Can't really blame him for that, especially if there's more playing time in those situations. But he is a name to keep an eye on, and it is continues to be interesting to me that Gonzaga is pursuing obvious point guards in the portal. We will see what happens if, when they land somebody, how that might shake out the rotation, all of that good stuff. We'll be coming up in future episodes of Locked on Zags. But for right now, what I want to do is I want to talk about the Orlando Magic because they acquired Anthony Black with the sixth pick of the NBA draft, a defense-focused point guard with questionable shooting skills. In other words, a player very similar to Jalen Suggs. Does that mean the Orlando Magic could be considering trading Jalen Suggs and which teams might be interested? All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there is no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to join today. Zag fans, perhaps you want to make a bet regarding Marco Gonzalez and the Mariners or Eli Morgan and the Guardians. Either way, don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out, of course, to all of you everyday listeners on YouTube. If you want to become an everyday listener on YouTube, just go hit that subscribe button. Get yourself notified when new videos are published. This week on the show, we're going to keep you up to date on the latest transfer portal rumors as we are doing today. 
with Joe Toussaint. We're also going to continue to look at scheduling updates. There's a women's basketball update we're going to talk about later in the show. All sorts of fun stuff coming your way here as we get into the month of July. But for right now, I want to talk about the Zags in the NBA and not the newest Zags in the NBA. That's Julian Strother, of course, joining the Denver Nuggets as the 29th pick. In the 2023 NBA draft, that is Drew Timmy joining an Exhibit 10 deal with the Milwaukee Bucks and Malachi Smith, a similar contract with the Portland Trailblazers. And he may end up playing with their new G League affiliate, the Rip City Remix, which just got announced on Monday. But I don't want to talk about those guys yet. We'll talk more about those guys as we get into Summer League and we get a chance to kind of see them stretch their legs and really show what they're capable of doing. But for now, I want to focus on the guys who are already in the NBA who watched their team make decisions during draft day and now may have different altered roles in the NBA next season. So we talk about each and every guy and kind of what happened this offseason so far, not just the NBA draft, but any other moves their teams may have made and how it might impact them next year. We're going to start with Jalen Suggs because outside of Zach Collins, who we'll talk about later in the show, Jalen Suggs is probably the player most impacted by his team specific NBA draft decisions. Because the Orlando Magic used the sixth pick in the NBA draft to select Anthony Black out of Arkansas. Anthony Black, of course, a former Gonzaga target as a recruit. And Black was was very good for Arkansas last year. He's a really, really good point of attack defender, pick and roll defensive player. Uh, He's got good ability to get to the basket and score, but he struggles as an outside shooter. That sounds like a profile of Jalen Suggs. It really does. And when you consider that Orlando already has Markel Fultz, and they already have Gary Harris... They already have Cole Anthony. Now you factor Anthony Black into the mix. And there's just, there's too many mouths to feed. Too many players that they don't have roles for on this roster. Somebody's going to get moved. And the rumors are that it's either going to be Suggs or Cole Anthony. I don't know if Orlando, Orlando would be selling low on Suggs. They would not be trading him at his peak value because he hasn't played all of that well in his first two NBA seasons. If they're willing to cut bait and trade him for a subpar return, part of me says that this is how bad teams stay bad because they make decisions like this. But I would rather them do that than just bury Suggs on the bench and then just let him walk in free agency. If he's not going to play, he's not going to play, trade him. If he's going to play over these guys, trade somebody else. We'll see what they end up doing. I know the Los Angeles Lakers have already been connected to Jalen Suggs, and I think that would be a really, really fun fit for him as like a backup point guard there. Obviously getting to play alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis, there's a little bit less pressure on him to score. Uh, Probably can focus more on just being a really, really good defensive player because that's what the Lakers need. I think that's a really good fit. I don't know exactly what a trade package might look like, but it is an honest-to-goodness great fit for Jalen Suggs, and I hope Orlando finds a way to make a deal work that way. Next up, I want to talk about Corey Kispert with the Washington Wizards. Uh, Suggs, the draft didn't really do him a lot of favors, but for Corey, the moves that Washington has made so far this offseason seems to be opening him up for a bigger role next year. He was excellent down the stretch last season for Washington. In fact, I just saw a recent post from Brett Usher on Twitter at BUsherMBA, who basically said, Kispert, I think he was five free throws and like two or three made shots away from having a 50-40-90 season, which is kind of this a mark of a great shooter in the NBA, 50% from the field, 40 plus percent from three, 90 plus percent from the free throw line. Kispert almost did that last year. And now this Washington team acquires Tyus Jones and Jordan Peele, who are going to be their starting point guard, their starting shooting guard. They trade Bradley Beal and they draft Bilal Koulibaly from France, who is not necessarily a player expected to be a big time contributor right away. Now, Koulibaly does kind of play the wing role that Kispert plays, but it doesn't look like he's going to 
cut into his playing time a whole lot. In fact, it kind of looks like Kispert's going to be one of the bigger pieces of the puzzle for Washington next year. He's going to be the starting three. They lost, you know, they traded Kristaps Porzingis as well. I think there's a, a big role for Kispert next year. And we could be looking at a guy who's going to average 15, 16, 18 points per game next year. This could be a true breakout season for Corey. And I think that Washington is kind of setting up their roster to give him the reins to be that kind of player next year. Next up, Andrew Nembhard, borderline all-rookie second-team performer last year. He should have made it. I am not going to let that die. Uh, Nembhard, fantastic rookie season with Indiana. And now we see the Pacers go out and, and draft two point guards. Quite honestly, that's exactly what they did. They used two of their draft picks on Ben Shepard from Belmont with the 26th overall pick there. And then Isaiah Wong, who, of course, was the starting point guard for a t- Miami team that went to the Final Four last season. Look, I think Nembhard's playing time is pretty safe. I think Andrew Nembhard and uh, Tyrese Halliburton are going to be the, the one and the two. Ben Matherin's in that mix. Of course, Chris Duarte potentially in that mix as well. But Shepard and Wong are going to give him a run for their money. I mean, these two guys are legitimate point guards. Like, they're not off-ball players. They are point guards. Ben Shepard was one of the best passers in the country last year at Belmont. He's a bigger guard than Andrew Nembhard. I don't think that Nembhard's in danger of losing his starting spot, but Indiana absolutely brought in reinforcements behind him, and they're going to push him a little bit. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't think that they're saying, well, we need to replace Nembhard. I think they're very impressed and happy with what they got out of him, but they can't rely on him to be their only point guard. So bringing in some depth behind him definitely makes sense. I think Shepard and Wong are both good players, and I think they're capable of being NBA players. Even Wong, I think he was the 55th pick in the draft, but was a a highly productive college player, similar to what Nembhard was uh, at Gonzaga in Florida. So be interesting to see how this all shakes out for Nembhard. Uh, I'm intrigued to see if they're really going to let these guys kind of potentially cut into his playing time or not. It certainly depends how they do in summer league and training camp and all of that, but it is something to watch in Indiana where there's, there's a possibility for Nembhard's playing time to diminish a little bit because of some of these additions via the NBA draft. Next up, last one here in this segment before we move on, Rui Hachimura. And Rui, we can't really do this exercise similarly because Rui is an impending free agent, so he could sign with any team. Uh, And obviously a a bunch of teams have made moves that would prevent them from signing him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The Lakers are, of course, his most recent team after he got traded there at the deadline last year from the Washington Wizards, was phenomenal for the Lakers in the playoffs. Seriously, playoffs, Rui is one of the greatest Gonzaga NBA players of all time. When, When Rui's in the playoffs, he is killing it. And the Lakers want to bring him back. They've made that clear. Rui also made the decision he's not going to play in Japan in the FIBA tournament this summer because he wants to keep himself fresh. He wants to. He played a, a deeper season last year, going deep in the playoffs. And he wants to make sure he doesn't damage any ability to make some money in free agency. Totally understandable decision from him. The Lakers would love to have him back. It sounds like if they wanted to, the draft decisions they made, I don't think dramatically impact Rui. They drafted Jalen hood Shafino out of Indiana with their first round pick. He is a point guard. They drafted Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine, a player us Gonzaga fans are very familiar with. Maxwell Lewis is a similar size to Rui, but Lewis is more of a three, and I think Rui is a little bit more of a small ball four, at least in how how the Lakers have used him in the past. So I, I don't think there's a huge overlap there. Certainly if Rui were to come back, it would just be bad news for Maxwell Lewis. It wouldn't necessarily be anything that would impact Rui. He is a, a better, more complete basketball player right now. Uh, and, and if the Lakers were to bring him back, I think they would bring him back in a bench role, but I think a, a productive role for the Lakers. Of course, 29 other teams might be interested in Rui, and if if slash win, of course, when he signs somewhere, we will discuss what that might look like for him next season. 
Well, there might not be a, a single Zag who was more impacted by a by an NBA draft move than Zach Collins in San Antonio, of course, with them bringing in Victor Wembignana. Hear more about that and other Zag bigs in the NBA coming up right after this. Folks, segment three here, still in your patent, still locked on Zags, and we're still talking about the nine Zags in the NBA last year and what their roles might look like heading into next season, especially after the NBA draft and some mini moves have already occurred in the NBA offseason. I want to talk about Zach Collins here for the San Antonio Spurs because as soon as the San Antonio Spurs won the NBA draft lottery, it became clear that things were going to change for Zach Collins because the Spurs took generational talent, alien potential NBA superstar Victor Wembanyama with the first pick in the NBA draft. Wembanyama seven foot four with a monstrous wingspan, elite ball handling skills, outside shooting skills, rim protection. He does a little bit of everything. Truly generational talent, and that impacts Zach Collins unquestionably. The Spurs view Wembanyama as a power forward, and they're looking to have a starting center alongside him. They may- recently mentioned that Zach Collins could be that guy. He is recovering from a finger injury. He is very frequently recovering from injuries. That is a big part of his story. But Collins, in a starting role last year, after the Spurs traded, um, uh, they traded their starting center. I don't remember who it was. Apologize. But they traded their starting center. They put Zach Collins in a starting center role. And he averaged like 16 to 9 for the rest of the season. Shot like 39% from three, was productive, was averaging borderline double-double. Like he was really, really good. And as much as people like to think about Zach Collins being somebody from a long time ago, he's been one of the longest tenured Zags in the NBA. All that's true. He's 25, folks. He's barely a year older than Corey Kispert. He is still very young and he is still, or he proved last year that when he is healthy, he is very productive. And I think that the ability of him to play alongside Victor Wembanyama is pretty clear. They're both rim protectors, so somebody's going to have to play a little bit more away from the ball defensively, but offensively, they can both stretch the floor. They can both score around the rim. Like It really creates a, a unique dynamic for this team if they play them both at the same time. But we will see what that looks like. If San Antonio decides they don't want to do that, maybe they trade Zach Collins. He's got his values pretty high right now after a productive season. Uh, and pretty much every other player in San Antonio's rotation is 23 or younger. So while I was just talking about how young Zach Collins is at 25, He's kind of old for his team, so they may end up moving on from him anyway. But it'll be interesting to watch because I think that Pop got a lot out of Collins last year and really helped him kind of find his way. And it would be a bummer to see him go somewhere else where he may not get that kind of coaching uh, at other programs. Next up, Chet Holmgren, of course, did not play last year after suffering a foot injury uh, in the Jamal Crawford Pro-Am event in Seattle before the season started. All indications right now are that he is healthy. He is expected to participate in the summer league this year head into the season with the opportunity to be uh, Oklahoma City's starting center and a rookie of the year candidate, of course. Having to go up against Victor Wembignana is going to be tough for him in order to win that award, but he's going to be right in the thick of things. And Oklahoma City didn't really do anything to, to change their front court all that much. They they did. It appeared that they drafted Derek Lively, the starting center out of Duke, but they that was a trade where they sent Lively to Dallas and they ended up acquiring Casey Wallace, a combo guard out of Kentucky. So we're not really seeing a much movement on the front court for Oklahoma City. Uh, it looks like he's going to start alongside Jalen Williams, uh, Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, probably Lou Dort in that final spot for Oklahoma City. And that's going to be a, a good and exciting and fun young team. And if Chet is healthy and productive and plays the way that we know that he is capable of playing alongside those really talented guards and an explosive rookie season last year from Jalen Williams, 
I'm excited to see what the Oklahoma City Thunder, Thunder do. I know a lot of Zag fans out there are not going to ever root for Oklahoma City because of uh, them, them being the former Seattle Sonics, and I get it. I do. Trust me, I do. But this team's going to be fun, and Chet Holmgren is going to be fun to watch next year. It's going to be an exciting time for them. Next up, Kelly Olenek with the Utah Jazz. The Jazz just acquired Atlanta Hawks forward John Collins in a trade where they traded Rudy Gay and a second-round pick. They also drafted a defensive-focused six-foot-nine power forward in Taylor Hendricks out of Central Florida. Kind of looks like Kelly's on the outs in Utah. And I don't know that Utah ever intended for Kelly to be a multi-year guy, but with Walker Kessler emerging as a dynamic starting center, a serious rim-protecting threat and a, a low-post presence, they have Walker Kessler. They now have Taylor Hendricks. They now have John Collins. They have Laurie Markin in. I'm just not sure there's a ton of room for Kelly. And I think there's a pretty reasonable chance that he gets shipped out this offseason. Finds another team. He has now been very nomadic. He spent the first seven or so seasons of his career in the Boston Celtics, spent a handful of years with the Miami Heat. Then he went to the Houston Rockets. Then it was the Detroit Pistons. And then it was the Utah Jazz. And now it might be another team. So Kind of see this a lot with veterans as they get towards the end of their career. Kelly's in his, I think he's entering his 11th season. So he's still got some years left. He's still been very productive. There's no reason to believe that he is uh, about to be out the door, but he's the kind of player that can fit on a lot of different teams. And so a lot of teams are kind of willing to push him around a little bit and we will see. Uh, I would be not stunned, but I'd be fairly surprised if he begins the season with the Utah Jazz. I think he'll end up somewhere else before, between now and November or late October when the season starts. Two more guys to talk about. Next up is Brandon Clark for the Memphis Grizzlies. Clark suffered a torn Achilles in March of last year, and he is going to miss a huge chunk of the upcoming 2023-24 season. So the moves that Memphis made don't really matter in terms of Brandon Clark for next season. They already have a very stacked front court. They have Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams, Sandy Altima, David Roddy. They did, they did use one of their draft picks on a big. That was G.G. Jackson from South Carolina. Now G.G. is one of the youngest players, I think the youngest player or the youngest American player, at least in this NBA draft. Not a guy expected to contribute big time right away for Memphis, but certainly another front court mouth to feed at some point for the Grizzlies. We've kind of hoped that Memphis would make a decision to trade Brandon Clark. They signed him to a four-year $66 million extension prior to his injury. So it doesn't look as likely that he's going to get traded, but it is hard for him to find consistent playing time in Memphis. And now with a year gone because of an injury, that may be even more difficult for him going forward. Final player, of course, the big one, the three-time All-Star, the All-NBA caliber center, DeMontis Sabonis for the Sacramento Kings. Monstrous first full season in Sacramento last year. Made the All-Star game in the Western Conference. Led Sacramento to their most successful season since 2006. I thought Sacramento had an excellent draft, but nothing's going to impact Sabonis' playing time. They took Omax Prosper out of Marquette with their first-round pick, a long, rangy, defensive-focused wing. They took Jordan Walsh in the second round, a rangy defensive wing from Arkansas. They also took Jalen Slauson from Furman, uh, a nice point guard with their late second round pick. All great picks. None of them are going to impact Sabonis. He's going to be an all-NBA caliber player once again next year, assuming he's healthy and all of that. Uh, the big man in the middle, him and De'Aaron Fox, are going to lead Sacramento to potentially another really, really productive season in the West. And, and maybe they can make some more noise in the playoffs and really uh, – really start showcasing what a dynasty can look like in Sacramento uh, from an NBA perspective. 
Folks, that is going to wrap us up for today. Don't forget to check out the new podcast. I say new. It's not that new anymore. Locked on College Basketball coming up on a full year. We're still with you five days a week here, uh, even in the college basketball offseason. So check that one out wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button for Locked on Zags as well. It is very much appreciated. More fantastic stuff coming your way later this week. For now, though, thank you all for listening. And of course, as always, go Zags.